This is CPX number 64, your sponsor in baptism. This is the Catechism of Pope St. Pius X, CPX, page 66, question and answer number 21 to 26. God give you his peace and omni patris affidit, spiritus santi, amen. Heavenly King, Consoler Spirit, Spirit of Truth, who art present everywhere and filling all things, treasure of all good and source of all life, come dwell in us, cleanse us, and save us, you who are all good. In nomine Patris Affidit, Spiritus Santi, Amen. Question number 21. Why is the name of a saint given to him who is being baptized? Answer. To him who is being baptized is given the name of a saint in order to put him under the protection of a heavenly patron and to animate him to imitate that saint's example. Number 22. Who are the godfathers and godmothers in baptism? Answer, the godfathers and godmothers in baptism are those persons who, in accordance with the decree of the church, hold the infants at the font, answer for them, and become guarantees in the sight of God for their Christian education, especially in the absence of the parents. Number 23, are we obliged to keep the promises and renunciations made for us by our sponsors? Answer, we are certainly obliged to observe the promises and renunciations made for us by our sponsors because it is only on this condition that God has received us into his grace. Number 24, what sort of persons should be chosen as godfathers and godmothers? Answer, there should be chosen as godfathers and godmothers, Catholics of good life and obedient to the laws of the church. Number 25, what are the obligations of godfathers and godmothers? Answer, godfathers and godmothers are bound to see that their spiritual children are instructed in the truths of the faith and live as good Christians, and they should edify them by their good example. Number 26, what tie do sponsors contract in baptism? Answer, sponsors contract a spiritual relationship with the baptized and with the parents of the baptized, which causes an impediment to marriage with these persons. Thus are the words of the Holy Pope. Unfortunately, CPX is now going to once a week, but there's some good news to tie into this. There's a lot of people who are becoming Catholic these days, it seems. Now, I think we're going to be on this lockdown for about 10 years. So I'm going to encourage you to tell a friend about this CPX series. I'm not saying this is the key to Catholicism, but I am saying you're not going to hear errors on this. And with all these people reaching out under lockdown, they're going to want the full shebang of apostolic Catholicism. And I'm not the only fish in the waters doing this. But again, I can guarantee as best I can that there's not going to be error on this. And what I find is when we lead people to Catholicism and there's errors in it, they eventually find it, they sniff out that rat, and they're not interested anymore. So we need to teach them um, apostolic Catholicism. So I'm going to encourage you all to suggest this series to friends, whether they're great Catholics or lukewarm Catholics or not Catholics. Suggest this series because I'm going to keep on the long haul for this. You know, we're about maybe halfway through this book, maybe a quarter through the book. I haven't really looked. It's a very short catechism, but after this, I'm going to do the Roman Catechism, which is the Council of Trent's Catechism, which is quite long. So I'm in the long haul for this series, if you guys are, and um, that's one reason I had to go to one a week, because I want to keep making videos, and we're going to learn a lot about the Catholic faith together. But at one a week, this also gives you the chance to suggest this series to a friend, because it's not going to be too hard to catch up, up to, what are we at, 64 today? People can catch up and learn in it a tremendous amount about the Catholic faith, primarily from Pope St. Pius X, as I simply read people the catechism, a pretty easy job I have. And then if they want to learn part two, my little commentary following, that can maybe help some people too. But the main thing is, this is about the only audio series I know on podcasts and YouTubes where you can read an old school pope's old school catechism and get this read right into your ears without error. 
so that people can learn the Catholic faith. So since we're only at one a week, again, I'm going to encourage you all to find a friend, whether that's a non-Catholic, a neoconservative Catholic, a liberal Catholic, a, an evangelical Protestant, an atheist, a goth, a traditional Catholic. Um, invite someone to learn this series because uh, people's, people's ears know the truth. And I think when people hear the words of Pope St. Pius X, Remember, Roman says it's faith comes through hearing, not reading. Faith comes through hearing. Uh, this will help people a lot. And just a quick note, the VLX, we're going to keep going for years on end too, unless I get booted from YouTube or something. We're going to keep VLX going on for many years on the different Gospels. We got Matthew right now, only on chapter 10. And we're going to keep going on Mark, Luke, John. So this will probably take several years for all. Okay, not a lot of questions today, but I do have a short thought on each one of them. So I'm going to give you each one of those again today. Number 21 why is the name of a saint given to him who is baptized? Answer, to him who is being baptized is given the name of a saint in order to put him under the protection of a heavenly patron and to animate him to imitate that saint's example. There's a nice line in the New Catechism that mentions that whoever you name your baby after in baptism, that saint is constantly interceding for that person. What a beautiful thought that that saint from heaven is constantly interceding, meaning praying to God for the person who has their namesake. Number 22, who are the godfathers and godmothers in baptism? Answer, the godfathers and godmothers in baptism are those persons who, in accordance with the decree of the church, hold the infants at the font, answer for them, and become guarantees in the sight of God for their Christian education, especially in the absence of the parents. Now, let's say this. Imagine you go to a traditional Latin mass parish that has the old rite, the old rite of baptism of infants, and imagine you have a new baby named Gemma. Well, her godparents are going to hold her and say, the priest says this rather, the priest says to the godparents at the font, Gemma, what do you ask of the Church of God? Now, isn't that interesting? The priest will address the child, understanding that the godparents who are adults will answer, but he's literally speaking to that child. Gemma, imagine Gemma is a week, a week old. Gemma, what do you ask of the Church of God? And then her godparents, not the parents, obviously not a one-week-old baby, her godparents answer, Faith. They answer that in proxy for Gemma. And then the priest says, what does faith bestow on you? And the godparents answer, life everlasting. Okay, a few things to note on that uh, rite, R-I-T-E of baptism. In proxy means in place of, and bestow means give to. I mentioned before how many times there is, say, a dead child in the gospel, and the faith of the parents suffices. Um, so also, someone needs faith at the baptismal font. Let me say that again. Somebody needs faith at the baptismal font. This is why I keep saying baptism is not a, a magic trick. Someone has to have faith for there to connect, so to speak, with the water. And this is the godparents, even to the extent that they're asking for supernatural faith to be injected into their goddaughter at baptism. A faith so similar to their own that they can honestly answer, honestly being the key, Honestly answer, this faith bestows on Gemma life everlasting. This isn't just something for the cake and the little white garment and the, and the grandparents to show up. Life everlasting. In fact, they have to publicly proclaim this at the baptism. The faith bestows or gives everlasting life to Gemma. Number 23, are we obliged to keep the promises and renunciations made for us by our sponsors? Answer, we are certainly obliged to observe the promises and renunciations made for us by our sponsors because it is only on this condition that God has received us into his grace. So what are those renunciations? Well, right here we have the Roman ritual, the sacraments and processions translated by Weller. And so Gemma's godparents are going to answer this when the priest asks him. Gemma, dost thou renounce Satan? 
sponsor or godparent, I do renounce him. Priest and all his works, sponsor, I do renounce them. Priest and all his allurements, sponsor, I do renounce them. So this should go without saying, the sponsors or the godparents, as they answer this, if they're answering in proxy for a little baby, they also have to be answering that insofar as they are rejecting Satan in their own lives. They have to be answering for themselves. They are rejecting Satan in their own personal lives. They are renouncing Satan's works in their own lives, the lives of the godparents. The godparents are even rejecting the allurements of Satan. So in some sense, this is a public promise. This is a public promise before God, before the priest, before the entire church, that you are rejecting the allurements of Satan. So you can kind of see why I wouldn't suggest anybody watch this movie, but look at, you know, the Godfather movies. It's actually named after being a sponsor in baptism. Are any of those people who are training their, you know, God kids and their brothers and their sons and daughters how to be mafia members, are they are they fulfilling this? No, they're doing the exact opposite. So that movie, um, even though it's at times brilliantly made, again, I wouldn't suggest anybody watch it because our Lord's name is taken in vain. It's just unbelievable amounts of violence and sex. So don't watch that movie. Um, but unfortunately, I have seen it, and even though the cinematography is phenomenal, it really shows you where Catholicism went wrong, where people can have the rights and the pomp and the circumstances and even the family member type stuff, but without, guess what's missing in that? What's missing in the Godfather movies for all of the interactions, even with the priests and all the tight family relations, is supernatural faith is the rejection of Satan. See, and this is why we have to get back to supernatural faith. I was talking to people last night about the very first people excommunicated by Pope St. Pius X. Um, yeah, fun night with whiskey with Father Dave, talking about who Pius X <laughs> excommunicated. I was telling a, a couple uh, after their kids all went to bed, and I said, you know, the first people he excommunicated had nothing to do with Sixth and Ninth Commandment stuff. It had nothing to do with even liturgy. It wasn't even about Mass or the sacraments. The very first people that was excommunicated by Pope St. Pius X around the year 1900 was George Tyrrell, a Irish Jesuit who is toying with the notion that doctrine can develop. And then another one was Father Loisy, taught at a French seminary. And he was basically teaching that the um, Old Testament and the New Testament miracles weren't really miracles. So you can see right there, it's faith where we went off the rails long before we went off the rails on liturgy and stuff. And this is why, again, I'm making this series, so that people um, can know and love our Catholic faith, can know Jesus and love our faith, or can love Jesus and know our faith, however way you want to put it. Um, and that movie, The Godfather, really shows you can have all of the routines and the rituals around family life, even Catholic family life, but without faith, it's going to turn into adultery and murder, literally. Number 24, what sort of persons should be chosen as godfathers and godmothers? Answer, there should be chosen as godfathers and godmothers, Catholics of good life and obedient to the laws of the church. Now remember, the tradition of the Catholic Church is that besides parents, the godparents are the most responsible for getting that baby to heaven. Hopefully we put the parish priest at the top somewhere in there. And I, I can't confirm this, but I do believe it's part of Catholic tradition if the parents die, the godparents raise those kids. But you want to work that out in a will because everything's so legalistic these days. You want to make sure that's actually in your living will and testament. So what should you be thinking about when you pick a godfather or a godmother? Certainly not just who's going to be at the party or who's going to be on the paperwork, not the cousin you want the job from. The thing you have to ask when you're thinking and praying with your spouse about who you're going to ask to be the godfather or godmother of your child is the person most likely to get your baby to heaven, or at least highly likely to get that baby to heaven. 
Remember, the bare minimum in choosing godparents is finding people who are, as the Pope said, obedient to the laws of the church. I know people don't like to talk about the laws of the church. They just want to talk about the emotions of love. But Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And these commandments are found not only in the Bible, but also in the laws of the church. So that's the bare minimum, according to the Catechism of Pope St. Pius X, to find in godparents those who will obey the laws of the church. Number 25, what are the obligations of godfathers and godmothers? Answer, godfathers and godmothers are bound to see that their spiritual children are instructed in the truths of faith and live as good Christians, and they should edify them by their good example. Notice they should be involved in their lives. Um, unfortunately, I can't even name my own godparents by name. I honestly don't remember uh, who they are or when I last saw them. So it's good to be involved in their lives. Five years ago, I started to wake up to the importance of this. I was celebrating a Byzantine Catholic divine liturgy. And before divine liturgy, what you find is the priest who's setting up for mass has this one large piece of bread. And it's not the body of Christ yet. That's why I say bread. And it's an un unleavened loaf in the Eastern rites. And so he's cutting up this piece, these pieces of bread already in his eastern vestments. And as he's cutting this loaf, this unleavened loaf of bread, he's naming different saints, different bishops that are alive, um, people that he knows. And each of these is going to be a representative in the sacrifice as this is offered to God. Um, now, this doesn't mean that each little piece of bread also becomes that person. Of course, that would be superstition. That piece of bread only becomes, or I should say, exclusively becomes the body of Christ. But there's a connection and a representation to everyone he's thinking of before divine liturgy as he's cutting off these pieces of bread. Again, not yet the body of Christ. This includes the Holy Theotokos, the mother of God. But then I noticed this priest named all of his godchildren by name. And, you know, in doing that before Mass, that's when I realized I had to start praying a lot harder for my godchildren. If the priest only had so much time and so much bread to name for who that sacrifice would be offered, and I think, if I remember correctly, he always, at all these divine liturgies, names his godchildren above all else, that is when I realized that I, as a priest, am going to answer to God at least for if I prayed hard for my own godchildren, even if I didn't have access to see them much anymore due to having lost touch, as sadly some of my Godchildren have left the faith. I'm not sure they want to talk to me about it. But I can still pray a ton for them. We can still pray. And so in this, my encouragement to you is to choose these godparents for your children carefully. Um, people who are going to take this responsibility seriously. Because I look back at my five or ten godchildren and I realize I was not taking my responsibi responsibility seriously to pray for them. I don't really have access to catechize them anymore. But I... Uh, I need to be praying a lot more for them because that is my responsibility that I'm going to answer, um, answer to God for. So again, pick people, not just who you want to honor. I mentioned the Godfather movies earlier. Again, don't watch that. But it is a good reminder of what a Godfather should not look like because he goes wrong for his Godson. He bestows money without bestowing the faith. And then, if I remember correctly, they both die murderers in the movie. Now, one of them makes a confession in part three, but it doesn't seem to be an integral confession. And Scorsese is now making a movie telling us how great Father James Martin is. This appeals to those with this Catholic cultural interest, but who live without supernatural faith or morals. So we need to get back to supernatural faith and just sideline what we think is like cultural Catholicism about Godfather movies or James Martin or whatever else and get back to supernatural faith because that's our only pathway to heaven. And then last one, number 26, what do sponsors contract in baptism? 
Sponsors contract a spiritual relationship with the baptized and with the parents of the baptized, which causes an impediment to marriage with these persons. So that's just a little canonical note that an impediment means you cannot marry that person. So you might have missed that one while listening or reading this catechism. So just a reminder, the law of the church is you cannot marry your godson or your goddaughter. And please say an Our Father for me at Benedictio Dei Omnipotentis, Patris et Spiritus Sancti Descendit Super Vos, et Maniat Semper. Amen. <laughs>